It's Wednesday, March 8th. Today's WBFO brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay Moran. The investigation continues into the cause of the fire at 745 Main Street, which claimed the life of firefighter Jason Arno. Walter Shaw is branch chief of the National Response Team of the ATF, and he discussed the depth of their investigation. We have uh, completed over 100 interviews, um, taken out several items of uh, evidence where we want to uh, look at those items a little bit further to determine certain things. We've created a, a computer model, computer fire model, with the assistance of our fire research lab in Hammondale, Maryland, of fire progression and fire growth within the structure. Shaw says his team has interviewed the first responding firefighters, the 911 caller, and contractors conducting work on the building at the time of the fire. Preparations for the funeral procession for Jason Arno are still being worked out. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown expects a map detailing the route will be released today. A wake will be held Thursday from 2 until 8 at Amagon Funeral Home at Delaware in West Ferry in Buffalo. His funeral is scheduled for Friday morning at 10 at St. Joseph's Cathedral in downtown Buffalo. And New York Senator Chuck Schumer is demanding answers from railway companies in regards to what actions they're taking to keep upstate communities safe from derailments, such as the one that occurred in East Palestine, Ohio. Schumer has sent letters to CSX and Norfolk Southern Railways asking for reforms as to how they communicate with local communities and to outline the steps they're taking to stop accidents from happening. Mayor Brown has confirmed that Rondesha Belton, the Buffalo woman who was one of two people killed during a Rochester concert on Sunday was a City of Buffalo employee. The mayor says she was a new employee, but her supervisor called her, quote-unquote, a breath of fresh air. Her co-workers, the mayor said, were absolutely devastated by the news of her death. Coming your way at 10 o'clock this morning, it's Buffalo What's Next, and today reflecting on bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, March 7th, 1965. That was when activist John Lewis led over 600 marchers who were seeking voting rights across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. They were brutally beaten and arrested by oncoming state troopers, all of that caught by TV news, uh, news crews. Well, Buffalonian Harvey Miles' father was 15 years old that day and one of seven relatives of his arrested on that bridge. Harvey Miles will be with us this morning on Buffalo What's Next to recall that story. Well, 10 months ago, Zanetta Everhart was helping her son, Zaire, recover from the gunshot wounds he suffered during the May 14th racist attack on the Jefferson Avenue tops. Now, she is running for the Maston District Common Council seat. She recently took a walk down Jefferson Avenue with WBFO's Thomas O'Neill White. We're here at the corner of Jefferson Avenue and East Ferry Street, kind of the heart of the Maston District with Maston Council member, or running for Maston Council, Zanetta Everhart. Zanetta, when you, when you walk down the street, you're at the corner here. Mm-hmm. What do you see? Um, well, home, first of all. So I live a couple streets back that way. Um, and this is my neighborhood, right? Like, this is you know, what I like to call Black Mecca. Black <laughs> you know, Mecca. like, really, like... Why is that? Because it's the east side. It's it's where culture lives, right? It's where the, the people of the east side live and where they shop, right? And right. where they work, a lot of them. Um, and it's, just, it's beautiful. Like, I love... I love the hood. I always have. I always will. You know, people have their, you know, 
their opinions about the east side of Buffalo. But for me, it's always been a place of just love and joy. And this is where I was raised. And that's why you want to run? That's why I want to run, because this is my home. And I, I have to be a part of the solution, right? I can sit around and talk about all the problems, right? We know the problems exist. We all know what the problems are. Um, but who's talking about the solutions, you know? I want to be one of those people sitting down talking about the solutions. And I want to put myself out there to be a part of that. Do you see the issues in this district are kind of a microcosm of what's going on in the city as a whole? Absolutely. Right. I mean, in the city as a whole, but in the country as a whole, the east side of Buffalo is not unique. There are communities just like the east side all across the country dealing with the exact same issues. And therefore, those issues, they're policy choices. Right. Poverty is a policy choice. Right. We know that. And so we have to have people like me willing to step up to the plate and get involved in in politics, in government to change those things. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the top shooting. Of um, course. Of course. Um, you and your son, Zaire, mm. how's Zaire doing? And, yeah. and how, how's the last 10 months shaped you? You know, Zaire is doing really well, as well as can be expected, um, physically, right? We want to start there. He, you know, his wounds are healing. Um, he still has shrapnel in his body that will be there forever. The doctors want to remove some of it because you can feel it on his body, on his back. He's still in therapy, obviously. Um, that's probably going to be a thing for a long time, you know, but he is, Zaire's hopeful, right? And Zaire is just like, I've been telling people like I'm getting my strength from him because he's just powering through this. Does his strength carry you as, you know, you spoke in front of Congress? Hmm. How was that? It does carry me. And, and when I spoke in front of Congress, it was very important for me to make sure that Zaire was seen in that room, mm-hmm. right? Um, because and this I, was to advocate for strengthening of gun ab- laws. Absolutely. Advocating for strengthening of gun laws and, and putting it on the table how ridiculous it is that an 18-year-old can get access to an AR-15, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also making sure that the larger community understands what's happening on the east side of Buffalo, the issues that are here, right? The reason why that terrorist was able to find the black people in Buffalo is a policy choice, right? We live in a segregated city, a very segregated city. So he knew where the black people were and that's a problem and we have to fix that. Zanetta, (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. It's been a pleasure. That is uh, WBFO's Thomas O'Neill White in conversation with Maston District Common Council candidate Zanetta Overhart this morning. You can find more at WBFO.org. Nia Lilit Kok fled Sudan in 1986 during the Second Sudanese Civil War, a war that lasted from 1983 to 2005. After spending 12 years in a refugee camp in Uganda, she came to the United States and lived in Minnesota before settling in Buffalo. Cock now works as a direct support professional for People, Inc., helping people with disabilities in her spare time help refugees settle in Buffalo, where the language, culture, and weather differences can be daunting. And she spoke with WBFO's Anjali Preston about her journey to settling in Buffalo and advice for new Americans struggling to adapt to a new country. What made you want to uh, have a career in helping people and in, in, in service? I enjoy enjoy my job so much because it makes um it gives me joy looking at the you know the difference that I made in their life. It's not so much about the money. 
uh, every time I'm there, I see the joy, how excited they are. You know, they become like my family. And I just love, I just love helping them. Talk about some of the women that, uh, that inspire you. I would say my mom. Uh, she inspired me because she was a strong woman. She helped, she helped raise uh, me and my seven siblings. And my dad was there, but uh, he deceased that, uh, when we already grown up. So, uh, but she was uh, in, in Africa, just uh, being able to raise eight children uh, in the refugee camp. It was a struggle. What do you remember? Or what do your siblings and your mother remember about being there? I do, I still remember the life that we had in Sudan. Uh, it was a beautiful life. But coming back to Uganda as a refugee, the life there, I will tell you, it was not easy the first few years because, um, you know, we could not accept, you know, coming from having a nice home, you know, life was good to we were just given uh, like a bush when you um came to america were you were you excited were you scared what what were you feeling <laughs> it was a mixture of everything yes because uh, i left all my uh, most of my family there i came with my brother my my yeah my two uh, two brothers and an uncle it was it, it, it was difficult at first what brought you here to Buffalo? My sister, she came to Canada. She was in um, Mississauga. So then I asked people, like, what is the closest city that I could be close to my sister? Because she was the, she's the person that one of the family members that came to abroad, you know, so I was so excited. I wanted to be close to her. So they told me that Buffalo, New York is the closest one to Toronto and Canada. So I was like, you know, without wasting time, Buffalo, New York, here I come. What are some things that you've done to help new Americans settle here in Buffalo? The lady that I'm helping right now, she she has three children. She don't speak English and she struggled since September until now. I'm helping her with her kids, taking them to school if they need to, if they need to call her for anything, they would, the school will call me. For any newcomers, I just go there and visit them and say, you know, uh, see if they needed anything. Things like going shopping is very difficult for them. What advice would you have for uh, new Americans settling here in Buffalo? It's tough. They do have people that can help, are willing to help, even though America is a busy country. The help is there. You can, they can reach out to us for their sponsors, you know, about their communities. And if they do have organizations that uh, help, you know, have volunteers that help newcomers settle. That's Niall Lillick-Cock in conversation with WBFO's Anjali Preston this morning. On Thursday, conservative commentator Michael Knowles is expected to speak at UB despite commenting that, quote, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely at CPAC over the weekend. Students and even prospective students are concerned about the transphobia Knowles could embolden on campus. Local high school senior Brianna says she was considering attending UB, but now she wonders about life on campus as a trans woman, and we're using her first name only for her safety. They were... um near the top of my college list, but I'm kind of reevaluating that now, thinking, again, from the perspective of, like, 
does this campus really care about um, my safety as a woman and as a person of trans experience? Like, um, it's sort of how indicative is this of like what I can expect on campus? UB has stated that they will allow the talk to continue despite the pushback. WBFO has reached out to the sponsoring student club, the Young Americans for Freedom, but we have not heard back. Well, New York's Farm Bureau is asking Governor Kathy Hochul and the legislature to double the amount of money allotted to a nationally recognized farm safety program that relies on state funding. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt has that story. The New York Center for Agricultural Medicine and Health, known as NICAM, was authorized by the state in 1988 to help reduce what was then the high rates of workplace death, serious injury, and illnesses among New York's agricultural workers. NICAM relies on a combination of state and private funding sources to provide in-person programs, including training for working safely with farm machinery and large herds of animals using chemical products and treating and preventing job-related injuries. Marion Robinson is the business administrator at Sunnyside Farms, which has 5,000 cows and 75 acres of cropland. But she says most important is the safety and health of their 69 employees who work in what's considered one of the most dangerous occupations. Our job is to really send them home safely every night, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Sunnyside Farms has worked with NICAM since 2014. Robinson says the safety trainings where experts travel to individual farms to provide instruction have been invaluable. When we talk about tractor safety, we stand next to a tractor and talk about all the hazards that a a tractor has. Um, Same with animal handling training. Um, Work with an animal in the barn, talk about how she moves, how she thinks, and what employees need to do to keep themselves safe and to provide the best care for the animals. Over the years, the organization has expanded to include even more programs, including bilingual trainings in Spanish and English and helping farmers with the emerging hemp and cannabis industries. But for the past 14 years, funding from the state has remained flat at around $1 million a year. Erica Scott, the deputy director of NICAM, says they would like to see the funding doubled to $2 million in the new state budget. She says the organization and its dedicated staff are getting overwhelmed by the lack of resources. For them to have to say no to a farmer is is the worst feeling. She says it's not a large amount in a $227 billion budget, but it would be money well spent. Scott and the farm owners say the response by the governor's staff and state lawmakers has been positive, but no one has definitely told them yes, that the money will be included in the budget. They've written a letter and they say they've gone public with their concerns because they aren't taking anything for granted. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. In sports, the Buffalo Sabres find themselves five, pounds, uh, five points rather out of a playoff spot this morning after losing 3-2 last night to the New York Islanders. Dylan Cousins and Kyle Opozo scored goals, and goaltender Uko Pekalukinen made 36 saves in a losing effort. The Sabres host the Dallas Stars Thursday night. Local college basketball, uh, the Canisius men eliminated from their conference tournament, losing in overtime to Mount St. Mary's. The Canisius women also eliminated in their conference tournament, losing to Mount St. Mary's. Be sure to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.